The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. We're so honored that you're here. Maybe this is your first time and we welcome you, or maybe you came on Christmas Eve and, and that was your first time here you experienced as the angel dropped from our ceiling the birth of Jesus Christ, and now you're here and we want to share with you what God is doing in our community. Uh, we also welcome those who are listening on podcast today, especially from Albany, Georgia, and we say hi to you and we hope that you feel as much a part of this church as if you were here with us on the Central Coast. So as you've heard already, this is our kickoff Sunday, 2012, and what we always like to do, if you've come to Highlands since the beginning, you know that we always start our year with what we call a Heart of the Highlands message. How many of you are here for the very first Heart of the Highlands messages? I know a couple in the back. I see you there. Back there in the movie theater six and a half years ago, we began with our first vision talk about where this church was going to go. Remember, we talked about how we were going to, you could probably say it by memory, reach Paul and Pete Passo, whose house is upside down. And they have one job, but they're looking for a church that's fun and normal, and we've tried to be fun, and we haven't been normal, but we've tried to be fun. And, and then we're trying to reach Gary Golfer, who Gary used to go to church a long time ago, but that church judged him, and he decided he's never going back. So we've been trying to be a church for Gary Golfer, a church that doesn't judge people and where no perfect people are allowed. And then finally, we're trying to reach Napa Ned. As you know, Napa works really hard in the wine industry all weekend long, but he's looking for meaning in his life. So we're offering the meaning of Jesus Christ. And so we did that six and a half years ago. What I want to share with you today is a vision which I think can lead us into this next year, the year 2012 together. It's a vision which came to me as I was dropping my daughter, Haley, off at the St. Rose Catholic Preschool up the way here. Now, we've decided to send our daughter to St. Rose Catholic. We've there are many good preschools around, but this one felt right for where we, our needs were for this particular next year. As I was dropping my daughter off, though, I, I noticed their bulletin board there as I came in, and I noticed up in the top left-hand corner it said, free after-school tutoring for anyone who wants tutoring. I thought to myself, actually, I said out loud, that is cool. And somebody standing next to me, and I didn't turn and look who it was, but said, that's one of the things we do. Now, I'm still looking at the board, and I'm noticing that they have free financial, financial service counseling for anyone who needs financial help in their lives. And I think I said to myself out loud, wow, that is really cool. And the person standing next to me, and I didn't see who it was, said, that's one of the things we do. And then I looked at the board up there again, and I noticed that they had free Bible study, and free counseling for couples who need serious counseling, we provide that. And I said, that's an amazing church. I think I said it out loud. And the person standing next to me said, and I turned and I saw it was one of the sisters there. And I, I kind of did one of these. I didn't, I don't have any, we don't, we need some sisters. If you know some can, maybe they can come to Highlands. But she said, it's not a church. It's more of a mission you know. And I said, what did you say? And she said, it's not a church, it's more of a mission, you know. And I said, I thought that's what she said, and you said, and she said, now can you wipe your feet, because you have dirt on your feet, and you're messing up. So I wiped my feet, I, I didn't tell her that I was a local pastor in town here, and it's fine. I did have dirty feet. But the point is, I've been thinking about that idea. It's not a church, you know. 
It's more of a mission. And I went and Googled mission, and I learned what many of you know who went to California schools. I didn't, but I found out about the California Mission Trail, right? The very first missions in the United States started in 19, uh, 17, 19, good. It started in 1769 in San Diego. The very first mission was started there. And guess what? It wasn't just a church. It was a community center. It was a place for medical services. It was a place for education. It was a place for counseling. It was a place for financial services. It was this center for the community. And then up the El Camino Royale, you know, they built mission after mission after mission. And there's one north of us, San Miguel, the 16th mission ever built. And there's one in San Luis Obispo, you know, the 10th mission. And these places were not just churches. They helped develop the state. They helped develop our lives. They were missions. And I've really been struck with that idea, and I've been looking at the Bible about the concept of missions, and I've noticed that none of the great churches that were ever churches really were ever just churches. They were all missions. They all stood for something larger than themselves. They all were looking outside. They all were giving churches. They all gave to mission, and they sent their staff members and their elders and their members out to the community to do whatever that community needed. That's what the great churches did. And so I wanted to look at one of those great missions called the Antioch Church or the Antioch Mission. If you were raised Baptist, chances are you either went to a church called Antioch Baptist or First Baptist. Those are the two most popular names for Baptist churches, and there's a good reason for this. And that is because they were missions. They were mission-oriented churches. Let's take a look at this church in Antioch. I love this story. Now let's take a look at this true mission that happened. Now Antioch is basically southeastern Turkey and northwestern Syria, And it becomes this mission outpost for the entire Mediterranean, effectively the entire world at that time. This church decided to not be something that it was of itself, but to focus outwards. Let's take a look at this amazing text found in Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, Stephen was one of the first, he was the first martyr in Jerusalem. And as he was killed by who? Saul. Well, we hear about in a moment as he is persecuted and martyred by a man named Saul, the Christian community flee Jerusalem and they head up and one of the places they go is this outpost called Antioch. So they go up to Antioch telling the message only to the Jews. They kept this message initially just, now when you hear the word Jews in the Bible, it really means just the established church community. It was just insiders. They were keeping it to themselves. Now some, however, from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Now, whenever you see the word Greeks in the Bible, this really isn't Greeks as in people who wear togas and olive oil and such like that. No, Greeks is like really rough people, way outside the church. Like, does anyone remember that Capital One commercial, What's in Your Wallet? Those guys. The church went for the people who, What's in Your Wallet people. And so it goes for these people who were way outside the realm, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news of this story that we are told on Christmas Eve and that we tell throughout our time here as a church. Now, the Lord's hand was with them. This is important. They weren't with God. God's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Sound familiar? Now, verse 22. News of this reached the ears of Jerusalem. I love this. The establishment church is always in the caboose. They're the last to know and figure things out. And so they're a little worried about this little mission outpost that's happening where where those guys, what's in your wallet guys, are coming into the church every single weekend. And so they sent Barnabas up to Antioch. Now, this isn't exactly what you'd call a plum assignment. 
being Barnabas and being sent up to this place way up there in Antioch. Go up there, Barnabas, and check out what's going on. Can you keep it a little buttoned down when you get up there? Well, when he arrived, he saw the evidence of God's grace. God's, notice, God's grace is with them. He was glad and encouraged them. I'm so excited and enthused that Barnabas doesn't come in and give them a new set of assignments. He comes in and basically tells them what they're already doing to keep doing. He tells them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. This is so important. Remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. To remain. You know, uh, this is the heart of a church that grows. What often happens is the church starts to grow. They have a whole bunch of people that come out on a Christmas Eve, for example. And then the church starts to get excited about the church. And then it starts to stand up for the church and it starts to think of itself as the church. But it isn't that. It's remaining true to Jesus Christ. Remaining true to Jesus Christ. Now it says Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I love this. This is, by the way, if you're trying to be a leader, if you're running a business or running a family or if you're maybe a pastor, this is a good definition. This is all you have to be. You just have to be a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the tricks. You don't have to have read the recent stuff. Just be a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. This is what Barnabas was and a whole bunch more people come to this church. Well, then Barnabas went to Tarsus, which is just around the corner from Antioch, to look for Saul. Now, Saul was the reason that all these guys ran away to Antioch in the first place. He decides to bring Saul in. Maybe he figures he can, he can relate with these what's-in-your-wallet people. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. I can't imagine what happened when they first saw Saul. But for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. For a whole year, Saul becomes their pastor, and so does Barnabas, and they teach, and they teach, and they teach. And this is the last line of our text. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Actually, the term Christians was a put-down. It was pejorative. It was like calling a Polish person Polak. It's not a nice thing to call somebody. Christians was actually a derisive term, Christ ones. But the Christians said, hey, I like it. Let's call ourselves Christ ones. And that's what they went by, and that's what we go by to this day, Christ ones. You know what happens after that is the church continues to grow, and it would have been so tempting for the church to hold on to Paul and Barnabas and say, now we're really going, and we're going to do this for us. But they do something amazing. They send Paul and Barnabas out to Cyprus, Philippi. Imagine if we sent Caleb and Matt or Katie and Jill our staff members out there, we paid for them to, to go do ministry for others. Crazy thing, but that's, that's what missions do. They, they remain true to the Lord Jesus Christ with all their hearts, and then they always send out, and then they change the world. So this idea has really captured my imagination, and I want to just share with you, I think, what maybe what we could be, some version of this in our church in this next year. And Maybe the rest of our existence as God wants us to be. So I enjoyed being away this last weekend. Um, I heard things went very well here. I heard Matt did a wonderful job, and I heard Cameron did a wonderful job. And it was kind of hard for Caleb and I when we, when we heard from everybody, you guys can take off whenever you want. Matt and Cameron have everything. I did hear that Matt needs a little help with something, uh, so I wanted to give him, this is a Christmas present, the world's greatest collection of church jokes for you. Very important. 
But I was, uh, I was up in Mill Valley, uh, where my sister lives, which is just a suburb of the Bay Area. And I don't know if you've ever been to Mill Valley, but it's an interesting place. It gets its name from the word mill, because at the very center of that town is an old lumber mill. It's a couple of hundred years old, and it has been putting out lumber for many, many years. It's really interesting, right around this mill, you can see the signs of that mill, right? You can see, like, everything is made of wood. <laughs> all the houses, all the businesses, all, all the shops. In fact, in 1911, of course, was the terrible earthquake that destroyed San Francisco and then the subsequent fire which came thereafter. And part of the reason for the fire was because Mill Valley provided San Francisco and it was, everything was built of wood. And then the place burned down. But you can still see, you can still see signs of that wood, that place that put out its main product. And I got to thinking, and by the way, it's not like a valley. They should call it Mill Mountain because I parked on the edge of this like 70-degree angle cliff as I was hanging on to visit my sister. I turned my wheels into the corner and put a, I thought about putting a block and tackle under the tires. It was such a steep cliff. But I thought about this image 200 years after. Now, the mill is no longer around. It's there, but it's not a mill anymore. But you can still see the remnants, the rings of wood that came hundreds of miles outside of this central location. And I got to thinking, what would it be like if the central part of that community was not a, a wood mill, but what if it was a church? No, a mission that had rings of impact that went out from that one place. And I thought to myself, what would it be like if, if Highland's mission was something like that, that hundreds of years from now you could still have little feeling about what this church stood for back in the day and still would a couple hundred years from now. A real faith down to earth. People who give 10 to 15% as a church to mission. People who no perfect people are allowed. Can you imagine how that impact could have on the, the faith of this area where people have this engaged, we really are fully in love with Jesus Christ. We really are. What kind of an impact that would have. So that's what I want to share with you, that vision today. And you tell me if that resonates with you as a, as, as a mission. And a couple of thoughts that I have, I think we really always have been a mission. And so the next question for us in these next six and a half to seven years, our next little time together is, how do we stay a mission? And the first thing that came to my mind is, we've got to be a place that remains in love with Jesus Christ. So I've done a lot of marital counseling this last Christmas. Christmas is a time when a lot of couples have struggles. And so this husband said to me, he said, you know, I'm really struggling with my wife. She really complains a lot and she really nags me a lot. And I said, well, you know, it's really Adam's fault in the Garden of Eden. He said, no, I wasn't aware of that. I said, well, yeah. See, God came to Adam and said, I have this perfect woman who never nags, who never complains, who, who always just listens and is always kind. And and so I want to give her to you as a, as a friend and a mate. And he says, she sounds expensive. <laughs> and, and God said, well, yeah, she is. She's going to cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> and, and Adam said, that is insane. I am not paying an arm and a leg for this, but what do you have for a rib? Okay. <laughs> Where did I get that joke? <laughs> really bad. I didn't know Adam was Scottish, did you? <laughs> Very cheap, Adam. So, how do you remain in love? It's so easy to fall in love. 
but it's hard to remain in love. The word remain in Greek comes from a word called pros mena, which really means pros comes from the word means, means to be beside or come alongside. And meno means to be. A prosthetic limb is a limb that comes alongside the other. Pros comes alongside that. So how do you remain in love? You be beside something. You remain by the side of something. How do you do that in a marriage? You remain beside one another in all things. In, in conversation, how, long, how often has it been since you remained beside one another? You don't have to have a scintillating conversation, just a conversation. Did you be, have you been beside that person in a conversation? In compliments. In time, I heard this amazing story of a couple who were in the first service, wonderful couple who go to the church, and they were struggling in their marriage, and they took a, a trip from, from Passerables to Canada and back. And they found that after 30 hours up and 30 hours down, they were actually doing pretty well in their marriage. It was the time. Be beside one another in prayer, in intimacy, in recreation, right? In, in life, in making things, in doing things. A church then that is beside God is God, beside God in the same way. Is it beside God in conversation? Are we talking about God? Are we with Him in time? How much time are you spending with this person that you love, Jesus Christ, in prayer, in intimacy, in recreation? But here's the thing, we can't just do it in like half of our heart. Has anyone been watching this wonderful election we have with the, uh, I can't believe this thing. So this is the New Hampshire primary last night. And by the way, this church is a non-political church. We don't take political positions. God transcends anything that's political. So God is way bigger than these things. However, it is quite funny to see these people who don't like each other at all pretend to like each other. Have you noticed this? Now, two people who really don't like each other in this recent election are Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich. I mean, they really don't like each other. But what I love seeing is how they pretend to like each other. This is what uh, Mitt said recently about Newt. I really do like Newt. He's got so many wonderful qualities. Sure you do, Mitt. Newt said this of Mitt. Mitt is a man of integrity. I just don't think he's right for this country as president, but I do respect him. Sure you do. No, you can tell when people are faking it. And you can tell when people in churches are faking their real love of Jesus Christ. You can tell out of the coffee time. You can tell in their connection time. You can tell in the sermons. You can tell in the Bible studies. You can tell it's all just a show. Because somewhere along the way, they forgot that it really is about remaining beside Jesus Christ and being in love with him. And maybe that happened. I know that that happened in the beginning, back in the movie theater days at five in the morning, because at five in the morning, all you really have is love of Jesus Christ when you're setting up the theater. So we need to remain in love with Jesus. The second thing is, I really think that, that Highlands, if it's going to be a mission, needs to think of itself as the center of the community. To think of itself as, as, now it can't do this if it's a church. If it is a church, then it's just going to be another one of the 43 some odd churches we have. And they're going to go, that's another church. Good, we have another church here. But if we're a mission, we can be at the center of this community. The community will not allow us to be at the center of it if we're a church. But if we're a mission, it will. So Star and I like to travel my parents-in-law are here. They're here from Nashville and St. Louis. And we used to travel to St. Louis uh, where they used to live. And of course, the main image of St. Louis is, of course, the arch, right? 
And everything in St. Louis basically radiates from that arch. It's like an arch city. It's the main thing. And of course, Washington, D.C. has its main, main architecture. Uh, many people say it's the White House or the Capitol, but it's really not. It's the Washington Monument because everything radiates from around this central, central spoke. And other cities, New York City has its main, main monument. Uh, you have uh, the Empire State Building. Now, people will say it's, well, it's, it's the Statue of Liberty, but that's really the gate. The center of the place, the center of the whole ethos of New York City is the Empire State Building. And on and on, right? Rio de Janeiro has a central theme, a central image, and that is the great picture of Jesus, the great statue of Jesus looking over. That permeates the whole culture. So what would it be like for Highlands to be at the center of a culture? Now, I say that realizing that most academic scholars today don't believe this is possible. I'm taking a class at Fuller, and one of the professors says to me in one of the classes, he says, we now live in a post-Christendom epoch. I said, that sounds quite interesting. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to write that down. Post-Christendom epoch. And he said, well, we had a pre-Christendom epoch. That was like 5,000 BC to about 380. That was pre-Christendom. And I didn't know what that meant, but I wrote pre-Christendom epoch. And then he said, well, from about 380 to about the Enlightenment, about 1700, we had the Christendom epoch. And again, I didn't know what that meant, so I wrote Christendom epoch. But he said, basically, from about 1700 to 2011 or 12, we basically have a time when the church is no longer the center of the community. It really ever can't be ever again. Now, I didn't raise my hand and say, that does not sound right, because I wanted to pass the class. <laughs> but it doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't. There was a time between like 3 AD and 1700 when like, yeah, the church was at the center, but it was usually like a monastery and they would usually open up a trap door and they would send out whatever they would have to the peasants and then would close the door. But who wants to return to that? I want to be a part of a church that goes out. So we can still be the center of the, of the, of the community, of the society. We just have to go there. And that's the fun part. So that's what we've got to do. And the last thing is this. We've got to be a church that does mission. That's the going out part. And so this won't work this next year if it's just a couple of staff members and a couple of string team members. You're going to hear a lot about this mission stuff. We're going to do a lot of it. We have a lot of resources, as you've already heard, all of Christmas Eve. We're giving 10% of our general budget. We are really investing in mission so that you have the tools to do it. And then we're going to go over to Oak Park here sometime in the early part of the year, and we're going to invest right here and do some great stuff because they need it. And then we're going to go over to Fresno, and there's a group called World Impact that is meeting with people who are former Bulldogs, a Fresno Bulldog gang. Now, this is high-impact mission. Men, if you want to, if you come back from some scary military world uh, like Iraq or Afghanistan, you want to see something similar to that, go over to where we're going to do some mission. This is not for families, really, the World Impact, where we're going to do it. We're going to send folks to Zimbabwe, with lasting impressions. And we're going to continue to do the stuff that we have been doing. NFL flag football, you can plug into that. You can plug into our, uh, our smash out hungers. Everything that we think about this next year is going to be out there. And as I think about mission, I think about one story which helps me to know what it's really about. True story, true illustration of a little town called Mitt's End in Arkansas. They have 100 people. And they have 41 kids who go to the high school, 41, from 9th to 12th. 
Now, they have a hard time fielding good players for their team, and so every single year their athletic program just gets waxed. I mean, they play schools that are bigger, and they play schools that are bigger, and they're always just getting decimated. But, but they don't care because they all play. There's a story uh, recently, a, a game that was being played between Mitts End and Leslie High School. And they were getting beat like 79 to like 39. And, but halfway through, those 100 fans up in the stands start putting their fists in the air and they start saying one word, Scotty, Scotty, Scotty. See, Scotty has cerebral palsy. And he doesn't get a chance to play until the whole fans say, Scotty. But then an amazing thing. This kid with cerebral palsy comes into the game and the coach says, you will not believe what happens to our players. They start to perform at like a semi-professional level. See, because the game's not about them anymore. And people will try to come around Scotty and try to like block him out and they will like elbow him and they will double foul him or whatever. Scotty will have like four or five chances to make a three-point from three-point range and they will let Scotty keep shooting until he gets a chance to sink a basket. (laughs) And then all of the fans go, yeah. That's what it means to be a mission, to pass the ball out there. Because that helps us not to play for ourselves, but it helps us to play for them. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. I ask that you would help us to be a mission. We don't want to just be another church. We want to live for you and for the world. In Jesus' name we pray. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.com.